0: All right, will you go with me back to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning? This past Wednesday uh, evening, we, we've been taking a break from our study through the Psalms on Wednesday nights in the month of April. And this past Wednesday, we uh, took a look at what God said through the prophet Jeremiah about setting our hope on heaven. And I didn't Intend this to happen, but we're talking about heaven here this morning again. Uh, God has some truth about heaven for us here at the end of chapter 12. I think that's okay, isn't it? Talk about heaven last Wednesday and this morning. I mean, I don't know if there's a more wonderful thing for the Christian to consider than heaven. An eternity in the presence of our Savior, what we've been singing about this morning, an eternity in a uh, sin free, sickness-free, death-free existence, and that is what God's grace to us in Jesus Christ has purchased for us. So here in Hebrews 12, 18 to 29, um, this is the finish line of this whole faith race metaphor that chapter 12 has presented to us. And God is urging us in these verses here to keep our eyes on the prize at that finish line. Before we study verse by verse, let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we come to you praying together now, asking you to speak to us through your word. Your Holy Spirit has promised he would, that he has a ministry of illuminating the truth of your word to us. And God's so in dependence on you because we need your word like we need the air that we're about to take into our lungs or the breakfast we ate this morning or water we need it that bad we ask you to come and visit us that your holy spirit as pastor daniel prayed earlier that he would drive your word deeply in our hearts god we will not run the faith race well that you have assigned to us and that you empower us to if we do not keep our eyes on that finish line it gives us direction gives us hope <laughs> Would you give that to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verses 18 uh, through 22, they talk about heaven's reward. And we love to talk about that, hear about that, sing about that, uh, its protection. Before verse 22 references the protection that God provides for us in heaven. Verses 18 through 21 give us a contrast uh, between God's relationship with his people in the Old Testament under the old covenant, and we've seen that a lot in the book of Hebrews, and his relationship with those who are saved under the new covenant. Uh, In you and I coming to Christ for salvation and for eternal life by faith, verse 18 says that we are not You and I, we are not coming to a mountain that might be touched. Now, that's an interesting phrase uh, here in verse 18 because what is being referenced here in verses 18 to 22 is when God and his people entered into covenant or relationship together in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant at Mount Sinai. And that mountain couldn't be touched, couldn't. God's people were told to stay back. Only Moses going up uh, to Mount Sinai. And, and what this means is, uh, verse 18 means, is that Mount Sinai, when it says it could be touched, we're not coming to a mountain that can be touched. Uh, it means that if you were to buy a plane ticket and go over there today, you could go to Mount Sinai and you could touch it. You could walk around it. It's something that's visible. It's something that you can see and that you can touch. It says we are not come to a mountain uh, that can be touched. But, but the reality is that when God descended there, if we were to go back to Exodus and read about that, uh, and we get a little bit of a, a Cliff Notes version here, a summary. But uh, back there in Exodus, when God descended to give his commandments to Moses and to his people Israel, to enter into relationship with them, God's people were forbidden to touch it, even go near it. Uh, let's reread verses eighteen to twenty. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words. Which voice that they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was that sight that Moses said, "I exceedingly fear and quake." And that encounter with God was very fear-inducing, a mountain that burned with fire, sky around it as black as night, even during the day, storm, tempest, and to verse 19 calls us to recollect that it was so frightening that God's people, that they pleaded with Moses to tell God to quit talking to them and to just give them his message through Moses Verse 20 says that that even if one of their livestock escaped the camp and headed to that mountain and touched it, they had to stone it from a distance or or shoot it with an arrow from a distance to, to prevent the people from touching another living thing that disobediently touched the mountain. That is quite a scene, isn't it? I'm glad our encounter with God through Jesus Christ is nothing like that now, aren't you? All because of Jesus Christ. Uh, all that happened back then. It's powerful evidence it has a lesson for us. It should teach you and I even today about God's holiness and that he's worthy of our fear and reverence. Um, let me call your attention to one of my favorite uh, verses about this passage. Back in Exodus 20, 19 and 20, I think it so beautifully talks about our relationship with God even now and what it means by fear. Exodus twenty nineteen. it says, And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. They were so afraid that they, they told Moses, Can you just tell God to quit audibly revealing his truth to us? Because we can't take it. We're scared. Verse 20 says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces. Now, that's an interesting verse, uh, verse 20. Moses tells God's people then, and and even us this morning, don't fear, God is doing all of this so that you will be afraid. You ever have someone tell you the Bible's full of contradictions? You know, they just don't understand it. Um, Well, this verse, this verse seems to be full. Fear not, for God has come to visit you so that you may be afraid. I think the, the best illustration I ever heard of this came from John Piper. He, When he was a pastor up in, in Minnesota there and his children were young, he went to visit a family in the church and they had a German shepherd, a good, well-behaved dog, but his kids were outside. They were all sitting outside. It was a summer day and um, they were playing and, and his kids started running and that German shepherd started running and chasing and making German shepherd-like noises. <laughs> and um, they... The kid started screaming, and they, the owner called the dog back and called. and he, he, he was the pastor there, Pastor Piper there. He said, Hey, son, um, don't, don't run. He's not a mean dog, well behaved. He loves you. And he, the dog was sitting there next to him without him running. He's sitting there licking his face. But he said, um, don't, don't run from him. That, that's when it will get bad. And I believe that's what God's telling us there in Exodus 20 20, 20 um, when he says, Don't fear. Don't fear God. You don't have to fear God. He's come to visit you in all this thunder, lightning, and, and these voices, and, and everything we're reading about here in, in Hebrews 12. Um, he, he's, he's manifesting himself but so that you have a healthy fear of him, so that you stay close, stay close to him. The only time you need to be afraid is when you're running from him. Verse 21 says that, that even at one point, I mean, this was such a, a scene back then, that even at one point, Moses himself was afraid. I would be too. <laughs> And the whole point in all of this is to provide the original audience that this book of Hebrews was written to, ethnically Jewish Christians who were being tempted to abandon Christianity and return to a, a saviorless, saviorless, uh, works-based, incorrect form of Judaism. God is trying to provide them here with a contrast with what their relationship with God was like back then. And compare that to the nearly incomprehensible blessings and joy that they have in Jesus Christ right now. And God began this verses 18 to 21 section by saying, you are not come to all of this. And so now in in verse 22, God is going to remind them that by their faith in Christ, what they have come to in Jesus Christ. To encourage them not to abandon their faith. Verse 22 says, but you are come Unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, unto an innumerable company of angels. But you are come to Mount Zion. Mount, Mount Sinai, it was in the wilderness. Mount Zion, it's in the promised land. It's in Jerusalem. It's in the capital of the promised land. It, it's on one of the mountains that, that Jerusalem is built on. It's a place of the palace. It's a place of the temple. Right next to the palace the temple. So it's a place of protection. Mount Zion is used throughout scripture. When you see Mount Zion. Especially in the Old Testament. Uh, used throughout scripture as a, as a metaphor. I mean it's a real place. But used as a metaphor. A figure for God's people. And for their relationship with God. And it's only in relationship with God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. That we have any kind of assurance of protection. Now we will have that completely, completely when God calls us home or when Jesus Christ returns for us and we step into eternity. We have it now, but we're going to have it completely then. And then what God tells us in Revelation 21, 4? And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Amen? You look forward to that promise? There shall be no more death. There shall be Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. And I say a big amen to that this morning. But the former thanks have all passed away. Christian, we have protection in Jesus Christ right here, right now. But we will have it fully and completely. And eternally, then and there. God tells us through the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah 2 5, of the protection that is our reward in heaven. It says there, For I, saith the Lord, will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem, and I will be the glory in her midst. The glory in her midst. That, that's, a, that's the other thing that God's word is always drawing our attention to when you come across Mount Zion. Not just the presence uh, or not just the protection of God, but also the, the presence of God. And that's the next phrase there in verse 22. But, but you are come to Mount Zion, a place of protection, also unto the city of the living God. That's exactly what we celebrated a couple of weeks ago today. And it's why we meet on Sunday and worship on Sunday every Sunday. Our Savior is alive, right? Our God is alive. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, he he is currently right there in heaven. Uh, Just as you, as sure as you are in this view this morning, he is there in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. And let me go back to Revelation 21, but this time in in verse 3. It says, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, he's telling us to look, (laughs) behold, look, the, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he himself will be with them. He'll be their God. So, so the whole separation, that what we read about in verses 18 to 21, this whole, you can't come near this mountain, you can't come near me, because I am holy, and you are most definitely not. That whole thing that was part of God's people coming into relationship with him in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, that's not our experience, is it? Uh, We have come to Mount Zion. That's the point. We have come into relationship with God. We can boldly, through Jesus Christ, we can boldly go to that throne of grace to find mercy and grace and help in a time of need. It's a place of protection, (laughs) heaven is. It's a place of God's presence. And we have that in wonderful and beautiful form even now, but we are going to have it fully as our reward in heaven one day. We have come here. And God's saying, whatever you do, don't go back to that. Don't go back there. Secondly, we're told of heaven's residence in the second part of verse 22 and on into verse 23. In this heavenly Jerusalem, as it's described here, guess who was there? And first of all, God talks about its servants, an innumerable company of angels. I have never seen one. Well, my wife's pretty close. There you go. Somebody, you were supposed to go, oh. She's, no. But, but, uh. When I read about, when you read about angels in, in the Bible, especially large groups of them, aren't you just a little wild? I mean, I want to experience that. I wish I was one of the shepherds of Jesus' birth. I'm a little jealous of John, the apostle John, and seeing those scenes in Revelation. We can't count them. They're all around the throne, and all they do is worship, night and day. It's what they live for, and they do it with joy. With great happiness. We're told them about them here. You've come to an innumerable company of angels. I look forward to experiencing that. Worship with them. I will, and you will too, if you've trusted in Christ as Savior. I'm thankful for the worship we get to take part in down here. It's honestly, it's my favorite part of the service. I mean, I love doing this too. I, I love singing. I might not be so good at it, but I love it. Um, it's strength for my soul. I do it in the car. So if you ever see me, I'm not yelling at somebody. I'm probably just having a praise time. Um, Strength for my soul. And and more importantly, I pray that it's pleasing to the one I'm directing it toward. But there's going to be nothing like it down here compared to what we'll enjoy in heaven. When we join heaven's residence. The old Southern Gospel song, I love it though. It says, someday this stammering tongue, that's what I got right now. It will falter no more. And a grander and sweeter song I'm going to sing. Because I'll join the ransom choir on heaven's bright shore forever to praise the King. I look forward to that, that time. I, I know you long for the, that experience, but even more so the, the next description of, of heaven's resonance. That's heaven's servants, but here now in verse twenty three it begins to talk about heaven's saints. It says to the general assembly, and in the Greek there is some indication of a forever celebration there. And angels are a part of that celebration; they're part of this general assembly. But but so is who is described next: the church of the firstborn. And who is that? That's me, and that's you. If you're here this morning, you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. You are part of the church of the firstborn. People who are here this morning. People not yet, not yet in heaven. um, But headed there as sure as Jesus Christ is there. Look at how we are described next there in in verse 23. Who's this church of the firstborn? Those whose names are written in heaven. That's my reservation. Um, I hope it's yours too. It's a my reservation. It's a a place reserved just for me. A place that has been and is being prepared by the one who saved me. Isn't that what Jesus promised in John 14, 2 and 3? I go to prepare a place for you, for you. 2,000 years ago, those, the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Is your name written there? Are you on the list? You are if you've placed your your faith, if you've repented and believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I mean, you're as good as there. Your name is written down. That reservation can't be. It won't be canceled. But some have made good on that reservation already. They got there. Okay, let me check you in. And that's the resonance described next in verse 23. To the spirits of just men made perfect. These are those Christians whom God has already called home to receive their reward. The moment they died, that instant, their eternal spirit went to be in the presence of their Savior. And they're part of this general assembly right now. They're enjoying everything that we are looking forward to, everything that we long for. They are just or righteous men, the spirits of just or righteous men made perfect because by faith they have been given the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. They are forever free from sin, even as temptation. I'm a little jealous of them. They, They only wait, they only await a reunion with a new and glorified and eternal body that they will be given when Christ returns for us. Listen, I cannot wait for a reunion with them. I've got grandparents up there, other family members, tears come to my eyes when I think about how much I miss them. And there are precious people that God has called home from here that I think of. And I cannot wait to join them as a resident of heaven myself. No more parting. Together forever. This is what we have in Jesus Christ. Now I skipped over one little phrase in verse 23, not on accident. To God, the judge of all. Christian, that is the main, the main resident of heaven who we ought to be looking forward to seeing, isn't it? To God, the judge of all. I mean, he's the whole reason that we're going to have any interaction with angels or or even a reunion with those who have gone on before us. So so I hope in your heart, you honestly meant what you saying just a little bit earlier. I long to meet my savior first of all. I mean, I do. I don't want any part of a God free, Jesus free heaven. All of the rewards, all of the splendor, all of the reunions that we'll have, they would amount to nothing without Him. And in fact, that's what verse 24 speaks of heaven's reality. It is real, Jesus is there. Verse 24 says, and to Jesus, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Let's talk about heaven's address. We had a study concerning um, heaven a, a couple months back uh, on Sunday evenings. I think it was actually late last summer. Um, and, and it was necessary. We called it grabbing a hold of heaven. So necessary because uh, sometimes we get concepts of heaven that it might be more influenced by pop culture or what we might have been told than the accuracy of what God's revealed in his word. And one of the questions we went over during that study is, where is heaven? Where is heaven? Well, the Bible tells us, but the only thing the Bible tells us regarding heaven's address is that it's up. It tells us over and over again, it's up. That's about as specific as it gets. We won't be able to find it on Google Earth because it's up. Um, Apple Maps not going to be a help. God's word tells us His heaven is up. So, but please, please don't let a specific, uh, a lack of specific knowledge, don't let that cause you to doubt its reality. It's not just some ethereal existence. It's it's a place. It has an address right now, and we're we're told in Revelation that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem this heavenly Jerusalem, is going to come down. New heaven and a new earth. That's a real place. It's where we'll be. We have New York, we have New Jersey, New Hampshire. It'll be new heaven and new earth. And it'll be a lot better than any of those places. No offense if you're from there. And uh, the book of Hebrews began... In chapter 1. By telling us this is where Jesus currently is. And that's the point of verse 24. Heaven has an address. It's a real place. Jesus is there right now. And it's true that while we wait for that. Where we're headed. The Christian life has this already not yet tension. I mean we're as good as there. But we're we're still here. Heaven is ahead for us. But we're also given a guarantee. We're given a down payment. We're given an advance for you and I to experience now as we wait. That's what verse 24 is talking about. Heaven's advance. This little bit of heaven that God's already given to us. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, back in chapter 7, verse 25, uh, God described Jesus as Him who is able to save you completely to the uttermost. All those who come to God through Him because He ever lives to make intercession for them. He's our mediator. Of this new covenant. That's not just something he's going to do for us when we get to heaven. I mean, he will. We'll get there and and God will say, Coming in, Jesus will say, They're mine. I purchased them. He will mediate for us. But he's doing that for you even right now, this morning, Christian. He's our mediator. It's an advance we have uh, on on him. He calls us his. He tells God the Father, I paid for their sins, I, I purchased their salvation. And that's our advance. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, the Savior, if you've come to him, if you have been, as it says here in verse 24, if you've been washed by the blood of sprinkling, that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel is the first human that is recorded in God's word as making a sacrifice. God made one for Adam and Eve. But as far as worshiping God through a sacrifice, Abel was the first one that's described there. And the message throughout Hebrews has been that the Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrifices, they were inadequate to provide fully for our salvation. So we're going back to the very first one to remind us how inadequate they were. But not Christ, not Jesus Christ. His blood and only his blood can forgive our sins and restore us to relationship with God and give us eternal life. Have you ever trusted in it? Have you come to him. That's what it says. We have come to him. We haven't come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. We've come to Jesus. Have you come to him? Have you received Christ as your Savior? This chapter closes with a call for us never to refuse the gospel message that God has given us in chapter 12. Let me read verse 25. It says, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. It says, for They escape not who refused him that spoke on on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth? But now he hath promised, saying, Yet, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, it signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 26 and 27, right there, they're reminding us that everything around us, the the pew you're sitting on, the car you drove here in this morning, the home, the bed you woke up in, they will not be here forever. None of that will be here forever. Christ is going to return for those who have trusted in him as their savior. He's going to usher them into eternal life with him. A new heavens, a new earth will be created. There is coming a day when everything that we see around us will be All shook up is what it's talking about there. It's going to be destroyed and then recreated. And if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you've been born again. You have and you will continue for eternity to receive a kingdom. It says that can't be shaken. It's solid. It's eternal. And so because of that, verse 28 says this. Wherefore, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. Oh, we need that. Why? So that we can serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That right kind of fear when I stay close to him. Is that descriptive of your life? Chapter 12 ends with this, for our God is a consuming fire. Kind of a weird way to end before they begin the next instructions there. Short, our God is a consuming fire. I don't know if it was God's intent in that phrase but it takes me right back to 1 Kings 18. You remember what happened there with Elijah calling down fire on Mount Carmel? Man, was that a consuming fire? I mean, it didn't just consume the sacrifice. It consumed the water-soaked wood on the altar, the water-soaked stones, the dirt. It consumed the water-soaked water. That was a consuming fire. And Elijah did. God did that to prove that God... And only God is worthy of our faith and our worship. And that account back there began, the whole thing began with a question from Elijah to God's people. How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then serve him. <laughs> and if Baal is God, well then serve him. Who is God? Is the Lord your God? I'm going to flip that around. Is God your Lord? Do you live in submission to Him? Is He being worshipped in He? Is He being worshipped in your life? And that question was settled that day for all those who witnessed that consuming fire. They said, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." And then they lived like it. What about you, Christian? I mean, look. God's saying here. Look at the finish line. Look at where you're headed. Look at its reward: eternal protection, eternal presence with God. Look at its residents, innumerable company of angels who live to serve God. When he says to do something, they do it right away. And those who've gone before us, those of us here who are trying to run this race faithfully, and this reality of heaven awaits. So are you living here and now as a citizen of then and there? Are you keeping your eyes on the finish line. If not, won't you confess that this morning? Commit to doing so. If you have been, but you just need a boost, won't you ask God to help you to keep your eyes on the prize, to use the truths, the promises that we have, a future forever in heaven that's ours because of Jesus Christ. Won't you ask him this morning to help you keep running, keep on going, continuing in the faith that you came to. As Tommy comes and lead us in a hymn of invitation, however the Holy Spirit has used God's word this morning to call you to respond, I just ask that you'd obey.